Contented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, the podcast that can fill out a form and send it to the right people with its eyes closed. My name is Mark Hunter, crypto writer and Tulip Trust Shamir sharing slice owner, and with me as always to run the rule over the goings-on in the worlds of Craig Wright and BSV this month is a man who often stomps on hard drives after failing to prove his identity, it's Arthur Van Pelt. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good again, uh, Mark. But, you know, it, it has been a bit of a hectic uh, on the medical front uh, lately uh, with me because a few weeks ago I suddenly found myself in an ambulance uh, to a hospital nearby mm-hmm. where I live. Uh, and there they found a little but very nasty and painful infection on the side of my heart. So now I have to take uh, medicines for a few months and I have to be very quiet and um, cool down uh, on my uh, normal uh, daily routines. But yeah, otherwise, everything is fine, Mark. They said that I will fully uh, recover from this uh, infection. It would only uh, take a few months and I have to be careful with uh, physical uh, exercises. But I can still uh, read, I can write, I can tweet and etc. So I can make uh, these podcasts. It's a nice uh, thing to do in between. So that's good. Excellent. I was just going to say, at least nothing is going to stop you doing the podcast. That's a positive. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's crack on. We start, as always, in Lawsuit Corner, with an update on Wright's contempt of court issue regarding the Peter McCormack case. As a bit of background, when the verdict in the case was handed down on Friday, July 29th last year, an embargo was placed on the two legal firms until the following Monday, when the ruling would be made public. However, Craig Wright being Craig Wright, he couldn't help himself, and blurted out to his Slack group that spending millions of pounds to win one pound was worth it because he got to bankrupt Peter McCormack. He also emailed those outside the approved email chain with the ruling attached. Wright was picked up on this, more of which in a moment, and the judge was made aware. To cut a long story short, Wright refused to admit the breach of embargo and requested a personal hearing, and for the involvement of the Attorney General into the matter. This resulted in a two-day hearing this month, where Wright's new legal team presented a 17,000-word skeleton argument accompanied by 1,600 pages of legal authorities in his defence. Unsurprisingly, Justice Mark Warby decided that it wasn't worth wasting public funds on fighting the case, saying, quote, We have concluded that it is no longer in the public interest to pursue these proceedings. The court is ill-equipped to proceed in contempt proceedings where the underlying facts are disputed or a raft of legal issues raised, unquote. Arthur, this represents a new tactic, doesn't it? And one that you can try if you have a bottomless pit of money going up against taxpayer funds. Just deluge them with material so they give up. Yeah, it appears so. Uh, indeed, I would consider it it's an, uh, it's an element of those uh, slap suits uh, that Craig Wright is doing, eh, which is a strategic lawsuit against public uh, participation, because this is how Craig Wright has solved the collateral damage of, uh, of the slap uh, lawsuit against uh, Peter McCormack. Mm-hmm. We did get an idea, though, about which way the evidence would have taken Justice Warby, though, didn't we? Yeah, indeed. We can find uh, the following quote, and and that quote clearly hints to the direction that Warby would have taken uh, with this uh, mark. 
He said, we are satisfied that there is prima facie evidence of a breach by Dr. Wright of the embargo on the draft judgment. So, yeah, I, I cannot read that uh, otherwise, is that if they would have uh, continued with this, then um, Craig Wright would have gone for a uh, contempt um, ruling against him. Mm-hmm. Indeed, Justice Chamberlain said in the ruling that there was a, quote, real prospect that a court might find that Wright intended to disclose the ruling and that the emails may be viewed as a further contempt, with Justice Warby adding, quote, does Dr. Wright have a case to answer? In our opinion, he does, unquote, but concluded that, quote, it is no longer in the public interest to pursue these proceedings, unquote. We also got confirmation in this case of something that we already suspected, Wright and Antier are no more. The specifics have obviously been dealt with behind closed doors, but it seems that Calvin Eyre has finally had enough of their errors and has found some other unscrupulous money grabbers for Wright to hide behind. Remember, if it hadn't been for Antier messing up with some timestamps on evidence, this case would have been wrapped up in Wright's favour long ago. Eyre also heavily criticised Antier for failing to properly present the damage Wright suffered as a result of McCormack's tweets, which was none, by the way, and said at the time that this would be corrected for the next court case. This already fractured relationship is now most certainly broken, with Wright's new barristers, Tim Gray of 23ES and Greg Callas of the law firm 5RB, blaming the change in representation on, quote, a conflict, unquote. As part of the proceedings, Antier filed its own report on the matter, throwing Wright under the bus by admitting that he had indeed breached the embargo, but also stood up for him, saying that it was, quote, certainly not his intention, unquote, to breach it with his messages and the email. Gray and Callas argued that Antier had filed its report against Wright's instructions, meaning that it could not be taken as admission of fact. They even went as far as calling the report, quote, at best hearsay, at worst a self-serving document created by the defendant's firm of solicitors to demonstrate it had not been complicit in the alleged act of criminal contempt, unquote. Wright tried to have the Ontier report rejected as evidence, presumably because it claimed guilt on Wright's part, but Justice Warby shot Wright's request down, saying that the report related to, quote, admissions made by an agent of the defendant, unquote, and that it did, in fact, appear to have been provided on Wright's behalf. Arthur, do you think there's any more at play here than Ontier just messing up with the McCormack case? That's a good question, Mark. I guess we will probably never know. Yeah, unless uh, Craig Wright's uh, lawyer, Simon Cohen, is going to write his uh, memoirs uh, someday and is opening up uh, about <laughs> this period of his life. But for the moment, uh, we have to take uh, the official explanation, I think, uh, that Ontier had to uh, declare these uh, things. So they did, and it happened uh, as it happened. Do you think we could get him on the podcast? Oh, I hope so. One day. <laughs> <laughs> Many years from now. <laughs> no, I, do, I, don't, I don't expect him uh, to do that uh, any day. I think we have been on his, <laughs> on his nerves too many times by now. I think you're right. I think you're right. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he's free of Craig right now. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I always found this issue something of a storm in a teacup, um, especially when it's compared to the fact that Wright put forward an entirely false case from the outset against Peter McCormack. And I'm amazed this issue got as far as it did. Uh, and it really, it didn't warrant all this attention and time, but Wright was clearly desperate to avoid paying the small fine that would have resulted if he'd got a guilty verdict, instead of the multiples of that that he paid to fight it. Do you think this is just another case of him desperate to keep up his never-lost-a-court-case nonsense? 
Yeah, we will probably never know. It, it, it might have played a role, maybe a small one. I, I don't know. I mean, Craig Wright, can, he, he does not have any influence really on the outcome of those, uh, of those things. And he's doing his best uh, to disturb uh, things. And yeah, and this, this time he succeeded. It could have uh, blown up in his face also bigly, but it didn't. Peter McCormack also confirmed this month that, naturally, Wright is appealing the £1 judgment he received, with a hearing on that due to take place on June the 15th. Wright's already stated in the wake of the verdict last year that he would appeal the ruling, and even gave a preview of the rationale he will use. Quote, Too little regard is paid to the impact my Asperger's has in my communications. I intend to appeal the adverse findings of the judgment, in which my evidence was clearly misunderstood. Unquote. Arthur, Wright was found to have put forward a deliberately false case, most of which he withdrew when it was found that he wasn't invited to any of the conferences he claimed to, not because of McCormack's comments, but because of his pathetic attempt at academic research, which he's blamed on other people. How on earth does his Asperger's affect this? Well, of course it doesn't, Mark. <laughs> and Judge Chamberlain even ruled that he had looked at it and beyond uh, Craig's autism's uh, claims, and he still found that it was a deliberately false case that Craig Wright had brought to his court. And that's why it is completely senseless and useless uh, that he is going to appeal this, and Craig will no doubt uh, lose that appeal. I'm not a gambler, Mark, but if I was, I would put good money on a bet against Craig Wright winning this uh, appeal. Those who listened to our bonus episode this month will know that there has been lots of movement in the Kleiman versus Wright case in the past few weeks, and even since our last monthly update. The focus of the attention was on the 1.977 debtors form that Wright was told to fill out after failing to hand over the $143 million he owes W&K, a standard form that any non-paying debtor has to fill out, but one that Wright's legal team, Rivero Mestre, have been desperately trying to get him out of. This has resulted in several knockbacks by Magistrate Judge Reinhardt and a demand that Wright fill in the damned form. My words, not his. Wright did this, but Arthur, what did he do with the form once he completed it? Well, after he has been uh, filling in something on that form, uh, Craig filed a notice of compliance and he uh, told the court that he had handed the form, with his notes, to his wife and his ex-wife, as Craig considers them as the majority members of WNK. And with that, he thought that he uh, could get away with it. Unsurprisingly, Judge Reinhardt took a dim view of this behaviour and ordered Wright to send the form to the correct law firms on April 4th, ignoring Rivero Mestre's claims that Wright didn't need to fill in the form because of WNK's ownership, evil law firms stealing private info, blah, 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 blah. Almost two weeks went by before we got a hint that all was not as it appeared when Ira Kleiman's legal team responded to Rivera Mestre's claim that Wright shouldn't have to bear costs. This wasn't particularly noteworthy, but Arthur, what did we find tucked away in the footnotes? Oh, I'm sure, Mark, that you're hinting at the footnote that says, um, <laughs> additionally, Wright failed to meaningfully complete the form. This deficiency will be addressed uh, in a separate motion for, uh, for an order to show cause. And here we learned that um, that was something we could uh, look forward to. Indeed, just three days after this enticing morsel was dropped, the filing came. W&K demanded that Wright be sanctioned for, quote, disobeying a clear order of this court and making a mockery of these proceedings, unquote. As the filing explained, quote, 
Wright has again thumbed his nose at the court, this time by producing a form that is both wholly deficient in its omissions and completely at odds with his own prior statements, sworn and unsworn. He also produced none of the required documents. Moreover, Wright designated this joke of a form highly confidential attorney's eyes only so that Ira Kleiman, W&K's true owner, cannot see it. In the end, Wright is betting he can get away with lying with impunity, leaving others, including the court, to engage in a whack-a-mole process of determining which of his lies, if any, to believe, all while continuing to avoid satisfying any part of the jury's award and this court's judgment against him." Unquote. Arthur, we knew something like this was coming from the moment Wright refused to send the form to Ira Kleiman's legal team, and we weren't disappointed with what eventually came through, were we? What were your highlights from Ira's motion? Oh, you mean my highlights from um, that thing where the name so beautiful. <laughs> uh, WAK's expedited motion for sanctions and an order to show cause why defendant Craig Wright should not be held in contempt. <laughs> Man, these motions <laughs> they have titles sometimes. Wow. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but I found a page where they summarize uh, all the missing info on the form, uh, the highlight of the whole uh, motion. It was, I think, 11 pages in, uh, in total. But let me quote a few things from the page. Not only did they found that his phone number was missing, also any spousal information besides his wife's name, any information about his children was missing, but, and here we go about uh, the, the, the more important things, any information about his real estate holdings, uh, and instead uh, that he had simply uh, had been stating that his real estate has been yeah, and then we found something that is um, blacked out, so we don't know what it says. His most recent pay stub is missing. His last three statements for each bank, savings and credit unions and other financial accounts, all missing. Any financial statements, loan applications or lists of assets and liabilities submitted to any person or entity within the last three years now and here we go mark this was for me a very uh, interesting sentence because it means that for the last three years everything that he has been doing with his assets uh, and with loan applications submitted to any person or entity that means that everything that is going into trust or anything that he has been claiming going into and moving into and moving from trust to another trust he should have listed on that form because it's about the last three years. And as you might remember, in the climate case, he has been uh, shuffling around with his trust uh, quite a lot and also in uh, recent years. So, yeah, I found this all uh, very interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you as well is regarding this, this list of things that he hasn't sent in, which also includes <laughs> quite hilariously his last two income tax returns, no surprise. All these things that they want, these aren't things that Ira Kleiman's legal team have said, oh yeah, we'd like those. These are things that this form demands, isn't it? This isn't something that the legal teams have come up with. This is the state of Florida says you must hand these over. Exactly. So he cannot avoid providing that information. And no law, not even uh, English law or American law, can go against it. It's, it's something that is on that form and he should provide that information. When Vel Friedman tweeted about the filing, it took me about five minutes to find a plethora of tweets from Wright that completely undermine this suggestion that he's the proverbial church mouse. These include, quote, I drive a Lamborghini when I'm not being driven in a Maybach. I live in a 12.5k square house with an elevator. 
No, some of us work because we believe that work is important and think that lazy rich people are an anathema that needs to be corrected. Unquote. Quote, I am rich. My strategy is simple. I invent things. The more I create, the more value I have. I look at companies that are aligned and will further my goals. Not ever short-term profit. How do I make a target in 5, 10, 20 years? Unquote. Quote, I have enough wealth that I can lock things in areas that I don't expect to make more wealth from. You don't hold gold to become rich. You hold a variety of other assets to give you a foundation where you don't go bellow. Unquote. Quote, I have been poor. It is far easier being happy with money. Unquote. Quote, Funny how someone as poor as me could offer $100 million direct cash within two weeks with the remainder of the $3 billion delivered within six months. I don't think Elon Musk can do that. Yet people think I'm poor. Funny world. Unquote. Arthur, I'm starting to think he's actually lost his mind here. Can you even fathom why he's behaving this way? I mean, it's only going to end one way for him, surely. Yeah, you mean that how Craig Wright is always uh, shooting himself in the foot with these uh, things? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it, it, it's happening here again. And I noticed that you found several examples where Craig Wright has been uh, tweeting. And I remember he was talking about the same things in his Slack room and bragging about his riches, like that he could offer uh, a 100 million direct cash settlement and with uh, 3 billion more to follow within uh, six months during uh, Climate versus Wright. Uh, and that he was driving a Lamborghini when he wasn't in his Maybach car with the chauffeur, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then Craig expects us to believe that he owns nothing when he fills in a form under oath saying so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> As a result of Wright's ducking and diving, Ira Kleiman's team demanded five things. One, that Wright be prevented from moving any assets that are in any way related to him. Two, that he be subjected to a $250,000 per day penalty until he fills out the form properly and that all his accounts be frozen. Three, the court order all WNK's post-judgment related fees to be paid by Wright. Four, that Wright attend a contempt of court hearing. And five, that the 1.977 form be made public and unredacted in all its glory. The filing also added that Quote, in the event these sanctions also fail to secure Wright's compliance, WNK will ask the court to issue a warrant for Wright's arrest. Unquote. Arthur, Vel Friedman has noticed something that I mentioned when we discussed this before. Wright has had over a year to move many of these assets out of his reach to give the impression that he owns nothing. Yet clearly he can get his hands on enough money to buy houses and supercars and land, etc., do you think the delay in collection has made things harder for Vel Friedman and his team? No, not at all, I think. I mean, not in theory and not in practice either. Because in, in theory, Team Vel has the law behind them to collect everything that Craig is trying to hide in the last few years. So every effort that he is spending trying to hide assets uh, with his family, with his friends or his relatives, Vel Friedman can in the end get around it and uh, try to collect them uh, anyway. But in practice, and that is the whole point here for me, um, things have remained just as hard for them because I'm 99.99% sure that Craig Wright never owned anything of value. He was almost bankrupt in 2013. He had to settle a $425,000 debt in Australia. And he was almost bankrupt in 2015 again in June of that year. So Craig needed a bailout of $50 million to escape the ATO tax fraud uh, troubles uh, 
uh, in the short term. And since then, he only uh, is loaning money, yeah, like usual, in the millions from Kelvin Air and his entities. And otherwise, he cannot even pay his legal bills. So all his assets that Craig Wright is bragging about, Bitcoin and non-Bitcoin and intellectual property and whatever, they're all fictional. They only exist in Craig Wright's mind and nowhere else. And those fictional assets are being moved to other people and to other entities and trusts and whatever things he, he claims is happening. Or he's making even forgeries uh, about that. But the common thing is they remain fictional. Despite the many emissions, we did learn something from the 1.977 form, which was referenced in this motion by Ira Kleiman's counsel and was picked up by Twitter user and well-known Craig Wright debunker WooCoin on Twitter. He found the following in one of the footnotes. Quote, Further, documents produced by Wright's counsel in response to discovery requests make clear that various Antiguan entities are paying his legal bills, but those also were not identified anywhere on Wright's form 1.977, e.g. X7RM00025, bill paid by Round Rock Technology Inc., and X8RM0003, bill paid by Still Meadow Holdings, unquote. WooCoin followed the breadcrumbs and found that Round Rock Technology is part of the Rock Wallet family, the new BSV project being heavily pushed by Calvin Eyre and other big BSV names. Round Rock was established in 2019 by Antiguan company Fitzgerald Management Trust Services Inc., whose offices are also the officially registered correspondent for Enchain Holdings Limited, owner of all those Enchain patents. There is also a UK-registered entity, Rockwallet Holdings Limited, which lists one Ron Tata as its director and was formerly called Fabric Alpha Limited, which is the name of another BSV wallet. Ron Tata is also the president of the other entity mentioned by Ira's lawyers, Still Meadow Holdings, and was referenced in prior legal filings as being Calvin Eyre's legal representative. Further digging by WooCoin found that Still Meadow Holdings is Calvin Eyre's family office, with President Tata also being, quote, Calvin's lawyer, right-hand man, and majority shareholder in Rockwallet, Fabric, and Lightning Sharks, unquote, the latter being the marketing company BSV uses to shill its wares to the unsuspecting Philippine public. Arthur, is this the clearest indication yet that Calvin Eyre is using BSV companies to funnel money towards Craig Wright's lawsuits? Oh, yes, for sure. Remember that we learned from the Peter McCormick Libel case at some point that Craig Wright admitted that he loaned money from Calvin Air with the Tulip Trust as collateral. So now we know what constructions they have been setting up to formalize these loans between Calvin and Craig. Judge Reinhardt's reaction to Wright's chicanery was swift. Just hours after the filing, he gave Wright until the 25th to show cause why the redacted sections of the form should not be unsealed, with Rivera Mestre's filing coming with hours to spare. Arthur, first off, the filing was more noticeable for what was missing rather than what was in there, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There was not a single word about the attorney's eyes only designation that Craig Wright was supposed to show cause for. So is there another contempt of court in the making? <laughs> I don't know, but this whole process of debt collecting from Craig Wright has become quite a soap opera to follow, uh, Mark. As usual with him. Oh yeah. As for what was actually in the form, it was quite startling. 
Rivera Mestre decided that the motion filed by Ira's team wasn't done because Wright refused to complete the form, but that he didn't do it, quote, in the way the law firms think he ought to have, unquote. Yes, that, and the way that the judge also thought he should fill out the form, as well as the people who designed the bloody thing. Rivera Mestre reminded the judge that Wright opposed the motion because Roche Friedman, having been, quote, discharged as counsel by the majority members of W&K and replaced by Paul C. Huck Jr., unquote, didn't have the authority to act for W&K. This, of course, relates to the attempt made last November and which was totally ignored by Judge Reinhardt, as Rivera Mestre well knows. It then reminded the judge that Wright, quote, immediately complied, unquote, with the judge's order to send the form to all the law firms, not just the ones he wanted, because he's a good little boy like that. Arthur, Wright's team raised five points that they said meant that Ira's motion should be dismissed, and we'll run through these now. What was the first one? Well, for starters, we see Craig Wright trying to hide behind privilege type of uh, excuses, and that's not new, of course. We see Craig Wright uh, try this all the time, and most of the times these privilege excuses don't fly far, and I don't expect them to fly again, Mark, but because <laughs> look what uh, Craig Wright said. With respect to much of the information requested by Form 1977 and the alleged deficiencies catalogued in the content motion, Dr. Wright does not have the information the law firms say they seek. It doesn't relate to the asset he owns, he does not have access to it and is unable to collect it. Even if he could obtain the data, it is doubtful that he could disclose it under British law, with which Dr. Wright is required to comply as a resident of the United Kingdom. Specifically, British law recognizes a duty of confidence that prohibits Dr. Wright from disclosing the private financial information of third parties, like his wife, his ex-wife and adult children. Yeah, this is a tricky one because we don't know exactly what information he's talking about here, so we can't laugh directly at the idea that he can't get hold of it. But I find it hard to believe that he doesn't know how to get hold of information on the owners of his cars and property or who owns his various trusts and companies. How hard do you think Craig Wright's tried to get this information? <laughs> how hard? <laughs> well, of course, our friend Wright didn't bother even trying, Mark. <laughs> if you ask me, all he is doing is trying to delay uh, the whole thing uh, as long as possible so he can go and create a few more forgeries uh, if needed that will explain why his assets are in trust and uh, cannot be accessed uh, by him. That is what I expect uh, to happen in the, in the near future if this continues for much longer. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't know about this duty of confidence thing and if Rivera Mestre's understanding of it is accurate. So we'll just have to sort of wait and see on that one. Okay, what was the second reason they gave? Well, this one was uh, hilarious, Mark. I will quote. (laughs) With respect to the additional information requested on the forum that Dr. Wright is able to provide, the court can simply order him to provide that information now without a finding of contempt. Again, he filled out the form when ordered to do so. He should be given the opportunity to supplement the information before being held in contempt. Yeah, now my, uh, in Dutch it's called, uh, nu breekt mijn klomp, my wooden shoe is breaking, <laughs> it's called. Uh, yeah, it, it, it means it is ordered in the first place that you fill in the form and give all the additional information straight away. And now you don't give it, 
Oh, but please give the order that he should give the additional information <laughs> also and we'll be fine again. No, that's not the meaning of the whole thing. Come on. This one really gets me. I mean, if they say that Wright filled out the form properly, then why are they now admitting that information is missing? And secondly, if information is indeed missing that could have been provided, why was it not provided in the first place? And why is it relying on a second court order to force him to provide it? He's had the opportunity to supplement the information and he chose not to do it. Does this not prove what Vel Friedman and his team have been saying all along, that Wright is making an absolute mockery of the court? Yeah, bingo, Mark. This is exactly the point. I mean, I cannot imagine for a split second that Judge Reinhardt will be amused reading this. I'm sure that he has been rolling with his eyes, slapping his head <laughs> and thinking hard how to penalise this arrogance and this mockery of the court. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully. OK, what was the third excuse? Sorry, reason. Well, this one is hilarious again, uh, Mark. When it comes to Craig Wright bragging about his wealth and his assets on places like Slack and Twitter, we can from now onward take his claims with a grain of salt. Well, we always did that already, of course. (laughs) But now under his own legal team's guidance, who argued, nor should Dr. Wright be held in contempt on the basis of law firm's bold, unsupported accusation that he provided false information on Form 1977. (laughs) Most of the evidence the law Mm -hmm. firms submit for this allegation are postings made by Dr. Wright on Slack and Twitter in which he boasts about how much money he has. It should go without saying that what people represent on social media isn't proof of anything. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Indeed, it is a trope common beyond the need of elucidate that people often overstate their wealth, especially in conversation and social media. Well, there you go, Mark. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, this idea of lying is an interesting one because wasn't it Rivero Mestre who claimed in the Kleinman trial that Wright's Asperger's makes lying hard for him to do? something that he used again in the McCormack case and which we now know he'll use in the appeal. So on the one hand, they've said that Wright finds it hard to lie and yet here they are using the fact that he lies all the time as their defence. Yeah, exactly this, Mark. They will no doubt uh, now start using uh, Craig's uh, I'm always very literal and I have Asperger. I cannot lie against him, of course. And on the subject, I also noticed someone who replied to your tweet on this, saying that if we can't trust what people put on social media, then we can't trust what Wright says about being Satoshi, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Right, what's the next issue they raised? Well, the next issue that Craig Wright's uh, counsel raised is, and here we go with another hilariously lame excuse, is Craig Wright's companies of which he is the beneficial owner. And one of these companies is Tulip Trading Limited. And Craig claimed in the past that this company owns the one fixed Bitcoin address that we know that it is uh, related to a very early Mt. Gox uh, hack in 2011. Mm -hmm. But now listen, Mark, what does Craig say? Mm The other evidence relied upon by the law firms consists of two witness statements filed by Dr. Wright in an English court in which Dr. Wright stated that he was the beneficial owner of Tulip Trading Limited, which purports to own Bitcoin valued at approximately $2.5 billion. In the first place, the question of ownership and control of Tulip Trading Limited is the very question at issue in the High Court of Justice in England under, well, 
becomes a claim number, a litigation that has been highly publicized. Unless and until an English court determines the issue of ownership, the assets are not available to satisfy the WNK judgment and, consequently, Dr. Wright was not required to list them on Form 1977. <laughs> My God! How can you come up with such a lame excuse? First you claim to own something, but when you have to list your properties, then you can say, yeah, but I don't own it because it's still under a court case. Uh-huh. Yeah. If the phrase having your cake and wanting to eat it too needed a poster child, this is it, surely. <laughs> yeah, say that again, Mark. <laughs> of course. Crazy. Rivera Mestre also argued against the other demands being made by Ira's legal team, saying that the demands were, quote, overboard and dangerously vague, unquote, before explaining why Wright shouldn't face criminal charges. Quote, for these reasons, even if Dr. Wright has violated court orders in the past, the court cannot impose an order of criminal contempt here without due process. They just cannot help themselves from going overboard in all things related to Dr. Wright, unquote. On the 26th, Rivera Mestre suddenly remembered that it had failed to address the very thing asked of it by the judge, just like all decent law firms do, and filed a supplemental appeal against the motion. Arthur, we know Rivera Mestre has a history of simply regurgitating previously rejected arguments in situations like this. Please tell me they came up with something original this time. <laughs> what do you think, Mark? Come on, come on! Of course they did not. Oh. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Here's what they said, literally. It is crucial that the attorney's only designation of the Form 1977 remain in place because, simply put, Rush Friedman cannot be trusted not to share the information improperly with persons other than Ira Kleiman. Dr. Wright reasonably believes that if Rush Friedman is permitted to share his financial information outside of the law firm, it could result in the disclosure of that information to non-parties. Yeah, we heard this uh, several times before already. Mm -hmm, we certainly did. This, of course, relates to the supposed concerns over potential injury that Wright could suffer at the hands of Roche Friedman, which doesn't even exist as a company anymore. This argument, which is so pathetically flimsy and transparent that you could wrap your food with it and stick it in the fridge, has indeed already been rejected by Judge Reinhardt and is quite clearly the best that Rivera Mestre can come up with at short notice, which says a hell of a lot about the strength of their claim. This month in the Kleinman vs. Wright case, we also saw a coordinated effort by Wright's camp to ensure that the recently appointed Huck law firm remains on the case, following the efforts of Ira Kleinman's legal team to kick it out. This was denied last month by Judge Reinhardt, who said it wasn't his place to make what was essentially a call over the ownership of W&K. Ira's legal team appealed this decision, saying that the judge misapplied the law when coming to his decision, and on the same day, April 17th, Ramona Ang, Lynn Wright and Paul Huck all made filings regarding this matter, representing possibly the first time that three people who have nothing whatsoever to do with a lawsuit have felt the need to submit filings over it. The message was the same throughout all three filings. Judge Reinhardt was correct in denying Ira Kleiman's motion to kick out the Huck law firm, rehashing the same arguments over ownership of W&K that we've come to know and love, and that we won't bore you with again. Needless to say, they are the same arguments that both Judge Reinhardt and Judge Bloom have already dismissed, but because Judge Reinhardt made the call in the first place, it's unlikely that he will overturn it, which Wright's team will undoubtedly cheer as a victory spurred on by their actions.
In other Lawsuit Corner news, we also learned this month that Craig Wright will face Roger Ver in court in Antigua after the Bitcoin Cash head failed to get the libel case against him thrown out. This case dates back to tweets Ver published calling Wright a fraud during Wright's 2019 libel lawsuit frenzy. Wright tried to sue Ver in the UK in 2019 over the matter, but lost over jurisdiction. Ver then relocated to Antigua, where Wright has held citizenship since 2016, allowing him to sue Ver there, which he duly did. Ver again tried to get this thrown out, and recently failed, meaning the case will go ahead. This is one of two of Wright's libel cases that hasn't gone to court yet, with the two that have, seeing McCormack losing to Wright last year but having to pay only £1 in damages, and Hodlenort's UK case against Wright yet to go ahead. Hodlenort, of course, already won his case against Wright in Norway, but faces a new trial after Wright won an appeal. Taking a slight detour from Lawsuit Corner, we also learned this month that the SEC is suing the recently shuttered Bittrex exchange over the sale of securities, naming a bunch of coins it says were securities that Bittrex had been selling to the public for years. Arthur, we knew we weren't going to see Bitcoin on that list, but it was a little bit disappointing that BSV wasn't on there too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually, uh, because it was only a few weeks ago that Bittrex had actually delisted BSV from the United States platform. And now they are going to delist it from their global platform somewhere in the month of May, we just learned a few days ago. But anyway, it would have been quite an irony if BSV was mentioned on the list of the SEC, of course. This month also brought the potentially interesting news that every device with a Mac OS operating system released since September 2018 has had a copy of the Bitcoin white paper stealthily tucked away in an inconspicuous folder under the file named simpledoc.pdf. This news was fun in itself, but of course as far as Craig Wright is concerned it takes on a whole new dimension. Arthur, why is this discovery particularly badly timed as far as Craig Wright is concerned? Well, as we all know, Craig is already suing a long list of uh, parties about uh, Bitcoin copyright uh, things, including the Bitcoin white paper copyright. And now Apple is not on the list. It would have been nice if uh, they were on that list, of course. Wright was quizzed on whether Apple's actions constituted a breach of copyright, to which Wright simply replied, yes, leading to countless news stories suggesting that Wright might be about to sue Apple over it. Arthur, this throws up a very interesting point as far as Wright is concerned. He says that he's fighting the likes of Coinbase and Block and all these developers because of some moral duty to act after they stole his idea, and now he's faced with what would be the ultimate test of his suggestion. Apple has perpetrated a far more heinous crime as far as he is concerned. After all, there's no debate about formats and blockchains here. So if he doesn't take them to court, what does that say about his moral right argument? Yeah, that seems to have gone down the drain, uh, doesn't it, when Craig will not sue Apple? And imagine the financial damages that Craig should be invited uh, to request, like tens of millions of devices. Uh, I looked it up, but Apple is uh, selling between 15 and 20 million Mac devices per year. Now, and this is running since uh, 2018, so that is uh, roughly five years. Then we're talking about uh, uh, close to uh, 100 million uh, Mac devices, each containing the, the Bitcoin white paper. Hmm. Well, and then maybe uh, Craig could request a few dollars per, uh, per device. Who knows? And maybe even more than a few dollars, including damages. So it's about uh, potentially about quite a lot of money. Well, get your crystal ball out. What do you envisage happening if Craig Wright actually does go ahead and sues Apple over this? 
Well, it, I think it mostly depends if Craig is uh, requesting financial damages, because if not, there's the risk that Apple might think, well, let's give in, who cares? But that might not stop Craig Wright requesting substantial financial damages. Uh, if, and if he puts that on the table, then Craig will, uh, yeah, most likely, no doubt, the, he will find a worthy and very wealthy uh, opponent in uh, Apple. And Apple will then uh, crush Craig Wright with his uh, false stories and forgeries, of course. Mm-hmm. Calvin Air also commented on this story on Twitter, bringing in Wright to say, quote, Craig, this also means Apple must play ball with Satoshi now, unquote, which garnered a response that I think, Arthur, we can both get behind. The silent OG said, quote, oh, nothing would make us happier than Clown Toshi going to court against Apple's lawyers in a country where the courts aren't too lazy to go through a few thousand of forged documents. Go ahead, buddy. We're waiting. I think that sums it up quite nicely, don't you? Absolutely, Mark. Of course, the BSV faithful couldn't help but take an utterly incompetent view of the news, with the only post regarding the issue on the BSV subreddit claiming that the version of the white paper is the fraudulent copy with aka Craig Stephen Wright printed next to the name Satoshi Nakamoto. This, the poster said, was proof that, quote, Apple acknowledges the fact that BSV equals Bitcoin, unquote, adding that, quote, this is an important fact, unquote. Other members of the subreddit, after checking first, of course, confirmed that this was in fact not the case, although it did lead one numbskull to wonder if Apple was going to buy up enough BSV to make it the same price as Bitcoin. You can smell the desperation from here. With Lawsuit Corner dispensed with, we'll take ourselves off to our recently installed patent penthouse, where, Arthur, I believe you have some updates for us. The latest news is that we, and with we I mean uh, uh, patent lawyer David Pierce and the undersigned, we filed another two oppositions uh, recently against uh, existing Craig Wright patents. And the really, really latest news is that European Patent Office, and that is where we file our uh, oppositions, they uh, kindly ask us for uh, a copy of Andreas Antonopoulos' book Mastering Bitcoin and not the most recent uh, edition, which is the second edition, but they wanted to have the original first edition from 2014. We can only guess for the, for the reason uh, right now, but what we did notice already over the month when we are doing this work is that many things that are mentioned in the patents of Craig Wright, we find them back in this book of uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. So in a way it is uh, prior art. It might be related to plagiarism uh, if the sentences are one-on-one taken from uh, from his book without um, crediting uh, the source. But uh, the least we can say is that it is related to uh, prior art and maybe they want to know more about uh, about this. And um, that's why they requested this uh, this book. And we happily uh, provided it. Uh, it's only, I don't remember, $20, $25 or something. Some shipping costs came with it. And uh, we sent it to them uh, last week. So here's one to test your memory banks. What has Craig Wright said about Andres Antonopoulos in the past? Has he like dismissed him? Does he appreciate his work? What's his view of him? <laughs> ah, yeah, nee, he's not a big fan of uh, Andreas, of, uh, of course, but that's also because uh, Andreas uh, 
has been witnessing uh, against uh, Craig Wright several uh, times. For example, uh, in the Climate versus Wright case, uh, he uh, wrote a report about um, uh, all the things that was uh, that were wrong with uh, the Tulip Trust list uh, that he filed uh, and gave to uh, Ira Climate's uh, council in January 2020. Well, that was found to, to be in, uh, in, in a straightforward forgery uh, again with a lot of flaws, and uh, it was Andreas Antonopoulos who wrote uh, the report about it, uh, about it. So, yeah, they, they are not friends, uh, so to say. So it could be extra sweet if he helps in bringing Craig right down, then? Oh, absolutely. Away from legal matters, BSV got another coin listing this month, this time on Transact.com. What do you mean you've never heard of it? According to BSV.com, Transact is a, quote, leading digital currency platform, unquote, sounds familiar, that it is, quote, known for its convenience, security and reliability in several major regions worldwide, unquote, it's actually not known by anyone, and that the listing, quote, makes it clear that BSV is still expanding, unquote, it really, really doesn't. One well-known BSVer commented that, quote, BSV is delisted on other exchanges. Another one came in. Life goes on, the more honest and not shady exchanges stay. Unquote. Hmm. The BSV crew fell over themselves to gloat about the ability to trade BSV on a leading digital asset exchange once again. Only there's one problem. It's not an exchange. Instead, it's a, quote, developer integration toolkit, unquote, that allows users to buy or sell crypto in any app, website, or web plugin, which is kind of cool, but it's not an exchange by any stretch. Transact, by the way, hasn't mentioned the inclusion of BSV once in its social media channels or on its blog, showing how proud the leading digital currency platform is to host the buying and selling of BSV. So the only way to actually buy BSV through Transact is to develop some software, implement the plugin, and then use it on yourself. Good work. Driveway botherer Joshua Hensley had a moment of clarity this month when he penned an opinion piece for CoinGeek titled Are We Wrong? where he finally acknowledged that all is not well on the good ship BSV. In the piece, Hensley noted that BSV, quote, continues to make new lows against BTC, nearly worth one one-thousandth of what most people call Bitcoin, unquote, and noted its fall from grace from the top 10 at the time of its launch in 2018 to the low 70s today, where he notes its companions such as Mina and Cake. Hensley then allowed CoinGeek's readers to peek behind the curtain we've been standing behind, shouting to anyone who will listen for a year and a half now. Quote, The maligned chain still processes millions of transactions per day, but clearly this is not leading to any appreciation in the coin price, which indicates that the nature of these is not actual exchanges for goods and services, but applications simply flexing by putting data on chain just because. If anything, the more of these types of transactions that get put on chain seems to correlate to lower demand and, consequently, lower coin prices." Unquote. Worse was to come, as Hensley criticised the lack of enterprise adoption, calling promises from the likes of Calvin Eyre, quote, tired lines, unquote, Joshua, I think he meant to say tired lies, and pointed out that developers are fleeing BSV like rats deserting a sinking ship, and that BSV has only two consistent miners. 
Then, in a turn of phrase that makes a mockery of the famous Pac-Man charts that BSV supporters love to trot out on a regular basis, Hensley noted that, quote, there is not enough transaction volume, despite the millions being broadcast to the network daily, to amount to enough fee income, unquote. Perhaps most tellingly, and riskily, Hensley also hit out at the BSV management. Quote, Community members and leaders need to realise that the current strategy, whatever it is, is not effective, unquote. Arthur, these are all things we've known for a long time, and we know that CoinGeek only allows things through if it benefits BSV in some way. This was an almost totally negative piece. What did it gain by publishing this? Yeah, whew, good question, Mark. It surprises me also that they allowed this uh, pretty critical piece on uh, CoinGeek, to be honest, and I can only try to guess the motivation behind uh, publishing it. Is it because Joshua Hensley has some name and fame that they allowed him to uh, to do this critical piece? Or did they think that it would be good to, uh, to do a bit more critical approach uh, anyway to the standard uh, BSV narrative in an attempt to uh, ruffle some uh, feathers? Uh, was this a cooperation between Joshua and somebody else who thought uh, that it would reach Kelvin Air? Again, we can only guess what has uh, what are the dynamics in uh, the CoinGeek offices uh, that these things are happening. I don't know. Many predicted that in criticising BSV and its leadership, revealing some rather unpalatable truths in the process, the post would mark the end of Hensley's spell as CoinGeek writer, and now blockchain conference speaker. After all, anyone who knows anything about totalitarian regimes knows what happens to those who speak out. However, either Calvin Eyre didn't read the article properly, or didn't seem to care, responding on Twitter that, quote, until any other chain can prove to scale, then BSV is the only option for enterprise and government, it's that simple, unquote. I mean, it's gibberish, of course, but it never even mentioned the central points raised. The BSV supporters on Reddit were in bullish mood, ignoring the plethora of concerns raised by Hensley to focus just on price, with one saying, quote, as I've said before, the pricing seems to be all made up to me. Speculation is fine if you want to do it, but understand these prices are probably decided upon by a select few at the annual barbecue to which you're not invited. He's not wrong, at least as far as BSV is concerned. After all, who can forget that famous dinner photo featuring the BSV high table in 2020 and Calvin Ayer's deleted tweet about them working on something that would boost the BSV price right before the bonded courier arrived? That's one barbecue many of us would have paid not to attend. More comments about the crypto cartel followed, totally ignoring the mountain of evidence Hensley presented that states exactly why the BSV price has actually tumbled. Arthur, they won't even accept the truth when it comes from one of their own. Nope. <laughs> I mean, you know, Mark, I'm noticing that the people who are now still in the BSV camp, they are, yeah, if you ask me, they're probably lost forever until the ship has uh, sunk to the bottom of, uh, of the ocean. I mentioned to somebody a few days ago that I have counted 30 plus delistings of BSV in the last six months alone. And then this guy replied, BSV being delisted by scammers is not a loss. BSV is the real Bitcoin and people are starting to see that. And this is a real response that I received two days ago, Mark. Uh, amazing. Yeah, they just have a reason that delisting is good and BSV is still the real Bitcoin and people are starting to see that. No, 30 delistings in six months means that people are starting to see how crap BSV is. 
and they are so delusional. The thing is as well, imagine if all those 30 exchanges, plus all the ones that delisted it in 2019, Binance, Kraken, Coinbase and all that, if they suddenly tomorrow turned around and said, oh yeah, you're right, you can have it back, you can go back on our exchanges again, they'd be over the moon. They would totally forget anything they'd said in the last day that was negative about that, wouldn't they? Absolutely. There were more telling responses to Hensley's piece. Kurt Wuckert Jr. said that, quote, the market is always wrong, unquote, before also ignoring the negatives Hensley espoused. Quote, As for BSV, our work is noble because it's a brilliant idea, but the blockchain economy has been taken over by a culture of extreme mediocrity and violent narcissism from people who think they're libertarians but are actually communists, unquote. You see, it's the blockchain economy's fault. They're the ones spamming the network and not netting BSV enterprise deals, not the BSV leadership. How foolish of us! Interestingly, however, the vast majority of the replies to Hensley's tweet referencing the article from BSV supporters were much more sanguine on the prospect of anything changing. One criticised Craig Wright's, quote, make them suffer for it mentality, unquote, and urged him to sign to prove his satoshiness, while another echoed Hensley's concerns, noting that other blockchains are growing while BSV development is shrinking, stating that, quote, BSV is always few people redoing things, plus we lost devs, unquote. Another said that he had, quote, tried to have this conversation a year ago, but no one was ready to listen, unquote before adding that Wright and Ayer's Twitter antics, the focus on PR over development and aggressive patent disputes were also part of the problem. Arthur, it's interesting to me that these responses aren't people outraged by the suggestion that BSV is failing. What they actually show is a bunch of people who are well aware of what's happening and have known for some time. A year or two ago, the response would have been quite different to this, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely, if you ask me, we can see that the BSV community is uh, slowly evolving from Craig Wright fans, eh, who hope that uh, Craig is Satoshi after all, and that he will go make uh, the BSV token uh, moon for them, to a group of people who claim that they are less interested in Craig Wright, and instead are more interested in the BSV tech. This latest narrative of more BSV and no or hardly Craig Wright is supported by a few handful of people who post on a daily basis in the marketing ravings of lightning sharks. We learn um, about those people, few handfuls uh, for the last few months. We certainly see them pop up. It's so not organic what's happening there. And they only post uh, about uh, the wonderful tech uh, of um, BSV and it's all written by lightning sharks. It's so easy to see. It's so transparent. There's times when I've seen somebody post a tweet thread, like a five, six long tweet thread, and they're just copying and pasting stuff from a CoinGeek article or a BSV Association article and making it seem like their own. It's not even edited. It's just copied and pasted. I just, you can tell at one glance. I think that those people in the Philippines are also being paid and, and uh, a few pennies per tweet that they are doing. Yeah, that's why they just quickly crank them out. <laughs> Volume, not quality. <laughs> yeah. N-Chain Godfather and winner of the I'm so deep into this shit that I can't back out now trophy, Stefan Matthews, claimed on Twitter after someone linked the decline in price to an overall decline, quote, correction, BSV is not in decline. To make this statement is madness, unquote. 
Others also chimed in, agreeing with Matthews that share price alone doesn't dictate how successful a company is. Arthur, it might not be the only measure that should be taken into account, but it's certainly highly reflective, isn't it? Yeah, of course. But since the price of BSV is in decline for many years in a row now, I mean, the, the hardcore BSV fans have tried to find a delusional narrative that works for them. And I'm always surprised uh, when they dare to share the delusional narrative uh, with the outside world. But here you go, Mark. Even Stephen Matthews, the guy that we know from his verification of Craig's one fixed paper wallet forgery, the guy that told Tal shareholders that Tal would never sell the BSV that they mined, but instead add them to all the treasury. And then the shareholders found out that Tal had actually been a net seller of BSV all this while. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's also the same guy who saw his live witness uh, testimonial about Craig's uh, Satoshiness uh, thrown out in court Oslo last year because he couldn't show any physical evidence to support his lies and uh, nonsense. So this is the guy that is uh, saying that uh, BSV is not in decline. This guy is not of this world. Seriously. <laughs> but, but Mark, allow me to break the news on something else. Mm-hmm. I just understood that Jack Dorsey and friends from the industry have raised the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund to support the Bitcoin developers in their legal struggles with Craig Wright. And because I was asked a few times over time to set this up myself, given my interest in all matters uh, Craig Wright, I was very happy to come across this news uh, today. Well, actually it was yesterday already, but I I paid more, uh, I read into it more uh, today. I simply don't have the time nor the means to set such a thing up uh, properly and now those parties with the proper means are doing it. I mean, Jack Dorsey, come on, uh, that's just great. Mm-hmm. And I, I read an uh, BTC Times uh, article about it, so I will just quote uh, the highlight from, uh, from there. It said that 13 Bitcoin core developers facing legal action from Craig Wright are receiving support from the non-profit organization Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund, co-founded by Jack Dorsey, Alex Morcos and Martin White. The outcomes of these cases could have significant implications for the future of open source software development as well as the Bitcoin ecosystem. 11 developers who are being backed by the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund are set to submit their defense on April the 26th against the lawsuit filed by Tulip Trading Limited. The lawsuit pertains to the alleged hack in February 2020 that resulted in the loss of 111,000 Bitcoin, which Wright claims to own. This type of news makes me so happy because who has been feeling yeah, lost and alone uh, all this while since uh, Craig has been threatening to well, bankrupt them and do whatever came, came across his uh, crazy mind. Uh, he has been uh, making a lot of threats uh, into that uh, direction. And those lawsuits, we know from Hoddlenaut, they are so extremely costly. They, mm-hmm. they run into the millions. Yeah. And um, now we have someone, um, not even one, several people who are backing them. And uh, yeah, that makes me really, really happy. I think this is a big relief for those uh, Bitcoin core developers. uh. Yeah, they needed it. And I remember Jack Dorsey talking about this last year. It was around this time last year he started talking about it, even called it the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund back then. But I never heard anything from it and I thought he'd forgotten about the idea. So it's great to see that not only is it alive and well it's being used for for the purpose so hopefully we can get our hands on this filing and we can report on that next month yeah indeed
Arthur, there's something I'd like to end on this month that I think it's worth a few minutes of consideration. Today is April 26th, 2023, which means that it's 10 years ago today that it's believed that Dave Kleiman died. Now, those who have been regular listeners or who know the Craig Wright story will know of his role in the Craig Wright story. But how would the story have been different if Dave Kleiman hadn't died 10 years ago today? Ooh, that's a good question, Mark. I mean, Dave Kleiman, after he died in April 2013, he, he was a big inspiration, and I mean it in the wrong sense of the world, of course, to Craig Wright in his Bitcoin fraud. So he will always be remembered as the guy that Craig Wright dragged into his false uh, stories. And then his brother, Ira Kleiman, sued him for that fraud. But what if Dave Kleiman was still alive? Would Craig Wright have found enough foundation elsewhere to start using Bitcoin in his tax fraud and then ramp up with a Satoshi cosplay? But I think, yes, yes, I think so, because Craig Wright was already into Bitcoin in April 2013, before Dave Kleiman uh, died. He was already buying Bitcoin on Mount Gox before Dave Kleiman died. And he was already thinking about opportunities, how to use Bitcoin for his tax fraud. And Dave's death was just an event that he could use to set up a scam. But in that same era, Craig also set up identity scams and bookkeeping fraud around, for example, Mike Ferrier uh, and Deborah Kopsa. Don't forget her. Dave Kleiman has become a well-known and big name by now because of Craig Wright's false uh, Satoshi claim, but back then he was just one of several victims that Craig Wright abused uh, in his uh, tax fraud and in his uh, scammery and bookkeeping fraud. And if it hadn't been Dave Kleiman, I think, then another person with another name would have crossed uh, Craig Wright's uh, path, I'm uh, quite sure. This brings me uh, to the the last thing I wanted to say uh, today, uh, Mark. Allow me to close this episode with a Craig Wright uh, quote of April uh, the 23rd, a few days ago. It's such a beautiful example of uh, projection again. He says, no, the proof is very easy. In this instance, absence of information demonstrates fraud. (laughs) Yes. Amen to that, Craig. Oh, gosh. That guy needs to take a look in the mirror. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yep. Well, Arthur, thank you for that little summary of, uh, of, of Dave Kleiman and what difference he might have made had he survived. And uh, thank you for your insight on other matters. And thank you for joining me for this monthly update as usual. Aye, right, yes, uh, as usual, uh, with pleasure, Mark. Great stuff. And I'll see you for the next one. Aye, aye, sir. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice to get these episodes the moment they drop. And if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd really appreciate a star rating and even a review to help us get this out to as many people as possible. Our monthly bonus episodes are available to download from our website for a small consideration. And if you'd like to access all these bonus episodes, plus these monthly updates a few days early and other goodies, you can do so by becoming a Dr. Bitcoin supporter through Patreon or Spotify. See the details in the show notes for information on how to do this or head to our website, drbitcoinpod.com. That's drbitcoinpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at drbitcoinpod and you can email us at drbitcoinpod at gmail.com. That's drbitcoinpod at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. 
written by Mark Hunter, with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt, editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production.